hey, it's Ian Altman. Do you want to connect with other people just like you looking to take your expertise and your sales to the next level? Then check out the Same Side Selling Academy. It's all integrity-based. We've got instructional videos. It's a private community in Facebook, so you can share ideas and collaborate with other people. Twice a month, I'll do a Facebook Live addressing specific questions so you can hear the actual language that I believe will help you drive success. And then we'll have extraordinary guests on on a regular basis as well to add additional value. The charter and founding members get a deal and a half, really just appreciating you for asking the questions, suggesting that I offer this stuff, and almost apologetically because it took me so darn long to launch it. So we hope to see you there at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesidesellingacademy.com or ianaltman.com and you'll see it all there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Thanks so much for sharing your reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and for sharing the program with other people. It really makes a big difference. Love to see our audience grow. This week, we're joined by Jerry Lance. He's one of the original madmen in the advertising world. He spent 20 years, in fact, more than 20 years, at Ogilvy and DDB in New York City. And he often describes himself as a creative guy in a business suit. We're going to talk about why messages fall flat, how to build intrigue and suspense into your marketing messages, and how to turn testimonials into engaging stories. Here's my discussion with Jerry Lance. Jerry Lance, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Ian. Now, I'd like for you to share with people something about you that they may not know. It may even be surprising, but something that people may not know about you just from, from the intro and from your general background. I drove stock cars on the in on dirt tracks in the Midwest as a teenager. Stock cars on dirt tracks. Yeah, it was great. It was a bunch of fraternity guys got together. Each of us, now this will show how long ago it was, threw in $25. We bought an old jalopy, put a roll cage in it, and some big tires and a fancy hub so that we met their legal requirements. And we raced at Eldora Speedway in Rossburg, Ohio. It was hilarious and fun and uh, a great way to spend summers. And how many times did you roll it? (laughs) Never rolled it, but we did have the front end removed uh, one time um, in a really miserable crash uh, one night at Killcare Speedway. Can you make that name up? Killcare Speedway. It'd be kind of like having the the donor card motorcycle track. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of the same sort of thing. So now you've got you've got an amazing background in branding and marketing at some of the world's largest agencies. So when you look at today's landscape of B2B companies, what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make with marketing, especially when it comes to a lot of the current technology and what people are doing to try and get their brand out there? Well, before we go to technology – the world I live in is B2B, of course, and what I see them doing, and it, it's they're, they're a generation behind in how they think about messaging. They all get social media, and to whatever extent social media is important to their clients, they will use it, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, um, and I have some side note stories about that. Uh, they resist it at times, but my concern is with their core messaging and how they deliver it, not in terms of technology. They think, here it is, plain and simple. Most B2B marketers that I engage with think that if they say what they do, what they sell, how 
their process or their service uh, and even the benefits of it um, that they've made the sale. And they leave out, and that's kind of a literal, linear, left brain kind of thing. And they leave out the whole right hand side of the equation, the whole right brain side of the equation. They're not really saying why I should work with them. Let's talk about that a little bit because that idea of the left brain, right brain, where the left brain tends to be the more analytical and um, almost number side or rational yep. side, and the right side being more the creative side of it, and, and that and that free thinking. So, which what what parts are they leaving out? So, and and by the way, I agree the wholeheartedly. And one of the areas that I'm thinking in terms of the technology is that people say, "Oh, well." Man, we're not getting our we're not getting effective results. So I know we're going to start using social media and we're going to do all these other things, but their underlying message still yeah. falls flat. So what is it that causes that message to fall flat? What makes that message fall flat is it's absolutely undifferentiated. You can take almost any B two B company, and other than their name, <clears throat> forgive me, they th- there's forty thousand other competitors you can put behind them. So where does differentiation come from? And I don't buy this stuff secret sauce or long-term sustainable competitive advantage unless you've got something that's on the edge of rocket science. So how do we differentiate ourselves? And I think you have to tell your story. I believe that emotional assurance, your humanity, why people would work with you has to be included in your selling message. And the best way to get at that is to use narrative thinking and to tell stories. And then things come alive, generic values like integrity, customer service, which is absolutely non-distinguishing, come alive when you prove it in action. And most B2B clients aren't comfortable with that. And I provide them really simple formulas and templates that frees them up to say what's really a, what they're really about, their passion, why they like pleasing customers, why customers should come to them. So, so part of it, it sounds like, is this notion of showing rather than telling. Yes. Okay. And so, so what I see for a lot of B2B companies is they sit there and say, oh, we're really great at customer service. Well, guess what? Everybody can say that. It doesn't really work. I have a client of mine who they work on the hosting side of the world for IT hosting, which is pretty boring stuff. It's slightly less interesting than watching paint dry. And one of the things that they post on their website is here's the percentage of uptime our systems have. Here's the renewal rate of our customers who are not obligated to renew with us. And here is a stream of every single customer comment interfacing with our customer service people. Now, they don't anywhere on their website say, hey, we provide great service and great customer service. They show it. So people say, wow, over the last 20 years, these people have had 99.7% renewal rate from customers on a month-to-month contract. So what's your conclusion as a consumer? Wow, these guys do a great job because people who don't have to renew with them renew almost 100%. I am so glad you brought up that example of uh, cloud hosting uh, and IT because it's one of the worst offenders in the world. They are actually demonstrating the client you're talking about in real time that they have exceptional customer service without browbeating us in the fact that they have exceptional customer service. But let me give a twist to that. There's a huge player in that market. They're called Rackspace. And Rackspace is a 
great brand name. We can see the racks. We can see the blades. We can see the servers in the rack. And they are all about cloud hosting, all, all kinds, all flavors, all varieties. But they did one thing from the very beginning. They tapped into fresh language to separate themselves. It's really simple. They made a fanatical customer support promise. Our commitment delivered. Fanatical. I was uh, presenting to a group of IT executives and I said, if I say Rackspace, does one word come to you? And about a third of them said fanatics. That's a good thing. Bring me that fanatical, you know, cloud hosting company. I can't remember their name. Oh, wait, yeah, it's Rackspace. They did another brilliant thing. They named their employees Rackers. I want to work with a Racker. That shows a kind of personality, a commitment. And they show these people in uh, Seattle grunge shirts. And uh, these are the kind of IT geeks that I want to make sure are working on uh, my cloud hosting. So they probably sat down, whether they did it by stories or not, they delved into their personality and came up with some fresh language. I believe that a lot of B2B companies could just differentiate themselves on language alone. Instead, they give out the same generic blah, blah as everybody else. Well, you know what? It's, it's interesting you say that, and I'm curious to get your thought on this. One of the things that in my research I found is that nobody cares about what results they're getting until they understand what problem you solve for them. And so what I often encourage my clients to do is say, look, you first need to describe examples of the problems that people are facing that you're good at solving so that when a visitor comes to your website or they talk to your people, they can say, wow, what you just described, we're having that same experience. And then their interest is piqued about how you solve it. So based on your experience, I mean, what do you think of that? Well, I, that's absolutely right. Um, because at the heart of a story arc is overcoming obstacles or seeking solutions that they can't get to on their own. Now, we know that mistakes and problems are more seductive from a marketing copy standpoint, uh, even from a selling standpoint, than uh, missed opportunities, but there are opportunity costs. The arc of a story starts where there's a situation. They're moving along, they have a problem. It's, it's a crisis in story terms. And when I think of strategy for my clients, I say, what's the exact moment where they most need what you have to offer? That's the beginning of the story arc. Then you come along and you help them climb that mountain, resolve that issue. And at the end of the story arc, they have success, but also they have a new direction. People forget that even in Shakespeare in his five act structure, that at the very end in Hamlet, everybody's dead on the stage. But they crown the new king. It's Laertes or somebody. I don't remember. I'm not in high school anymore, <laughs> sadly. And they go off to the new kingdom and all hail the new king. We forget that even at the end of a story, there's an extension. In that declining action there is, after we've achieved success, what did we learn? What's new? Where are we going to go now? How do we keep applying this? But the basic story arc is built into your selling proposition. Yeah. So, so, and by the way, I, I, I think it's magical the way, the way you describe this, because the idea is that too often people get caught in the details. So someone will say, Oh man, you know, we go out and we tell people how great we are at doing X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, but 
everyone says that no one believes it. But if you can tell a story that says, gee, you know, we had a client just like you and they were facing these three problems. And today they're doing amazingly well and all those problems have gone away. By the way, you don't even have to describe what you did for them because the other person says, you know what? I have that same problem and I would love to have that same outcome. That's brilliant. And let me let me give most people think they just go situation, action, result. Well, that's a good way to write a case history. And if you're in a hurry, that's a good way to tell a quick success story. Let me give you another formula. Uh, I'm going to copyright this, although I learned it in writing school. Uh, The whole time I was in advertising, I was always going off taking fiction and nonfiction writing. One of the things I learned uh, and I don't it was in one of the classes, I think, at Gotham Writers Workshop there. I've given somebody credit (laughs) was A, B, C, D. Now, think about this. The last great movie you saw or any movie you saw, doesn't it start in action? They start the action even over the credits. Right away, you want to know what's happening. There's a little bit of suspense. I think in business, we're terrified of suspense. We have to look like we always have the answer. You know, when this client faced a drop in net orders processed, we implemented a five-point strategy, slide one, slide two, and everybody gets bored. Versus, oh my God, we parachuted in. Um, Their logistics and distribution were a mess. They didn't know what was going where. And they didn't know their their margins on any of their items. They turned to us for help. You know, that's the beginning of a story. They had these three problems. Just like you said, suddenly I've started in action. B, backstory. Then you go back and talk about the characters, the company, maybe the interest, uh, the industry, the trends or whatever. Just a little bit. You don't want the backstory to become the story. But think of the backstory as situation analysis. And then you go to C. A is action. B is backstory. C is conflict. No conflict, no story. There's always something at stake. A lot of people tell little vignettes, but they forgot to say what's at stake. What does the client get if they win? What do they lose if they don't win? There's got to be stakes. No conflict, no story. Then there's this final C, climax. What was that final turning point? the process that you brought to bear, but you don't have to go into detail. We had an engagement, we did the right things, and bang, their sales are up 33% year on year. Oh my God, I want some of that, the person who's listening to this say. And then finally, D, destination. Now, if you remember your high school English, it's probably denouement, but I don't want to use that big word in a B2B pitch here. What I want to say is that where did you end up and what's changed? That's your feedback loop, and that's your future direction. A for action, B for backstory, C for conflict, C for climax, and D for destination. That's great. Executives actually immediately respond to that because they now have a a format in their hands, and they start telling dramatically better stories instantly. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that a lot of people will – overlook the conflict. And part of it is that it's okay if as a business, if you're the vendor and you say, well, so so we came in, the client had tried three different things that didn't work. And candidly, our first thought didn't work out. Like, it's okay to say that and say, in the end, here's what actually ended up saving the day for them. And now the result is that they're much better off and all their anxiety has gone away. By the way, you don't even have to say what your solution is. 
I know. That's, that's the thing that most people, I think, overlook is that you don't have to say, oh, and we use this software implemented this way. Because in the research I've done, the, and I've done this with over 10,000 CEOs and executives around the world, I ask them, okay, here's – here's someone comes to you, they want to spend $20,000 on this fictitious item. What questions are you going to ask your employee to be comfortable making an informed decision? And the questions they ask are, what problems it solve or why do I need it? And then what's the likely outcome or result? So no one says, and how did they do it? They all say, what's the problem it solves? Why do I need it? And then what's the outcome or result? Because if they understand that, they don't really care how you do it as long as it's not illegal. You're so right. They don't buy process. They don't buy process. They understand their own problem. They're just looking for outcomes. Help me. And it's funny. I show before and after using this brand story process that I use. I show where they are, where, you know, on their website. I say, this is what they looked like. This is what they were saying. After the brand story process, look at the difference. Then people go, oh, my God, I want some of that. And then they say, how do we do that? And you say, well, let's talk about And then you're in the middle of an engagement. By the way, I have to compliment you. You're the only person I've ever heard say that in telling a success story, you might admit you actually made a mistake. That (laughs) makes you incredibly authentic. It makes me trust you, believe it or not. And it gets rid of that arrogant attitude that a consultant has of I have all the answers. I say over and over again in speeches, I will drop dead one day when I actually hear somebody tell a success story where they admit they had a mistake and maybe they worked out the whole process together with the client. Now, that's a true journey. Now, that's a true arc of story. Now, my, now my, my concern, though, is that you said if you ever hear that happen, you'll drop dead. I just want to make sure you're still with us because you know, it's, I'm concerned I could, be, I could be culpable for that. I mean one of the things is that uh, I, I teach a principle called disarm, and the idea is that you want to disarm the notion that you're the right solution for everybody. And so it's funny when, when I'm working with sales organizations, I always say, look, a percentage of your team is going to leave our program and do absolutely nothing. And a portion of your team is going to get amazing impact from this and is going to really do things that change your business and their lives forever. But keep in mind, a subset of them aren't going to do anything. And I'll often ask people, what percentage of your audience do you think is going to fall into that category? Because it has the added benefit of being true. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, you're not going to have a huge impact on everybody. But guess what? If I take if I take half of their team and make them 10% more effective, they can double their growth rate in a year. And I don't have to help every single person get there because some of them, candidly, you can tell them everything and show them every way to be successful and they're just not going to have the work ethic to do the work. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I try to take the work out of it for at least my senior clients. Um, so they, they're, everybody's uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable about telling stories. They'll say, oh, I can't tell a story or I can't tell a joke. And I say, okay, well, fine, great. Uh, and then you, you just give them a simple trigger and you say, well, tell me about the last time you uh, had a really great idea and uh, it actually worked. And everybody thought it was pretty good, and the client liked it too. And they go, oh, well, we were working with so-and-so and so on. And bang, they will tell you a story with a perfect story arc that goes to a dramatic conclusion. And lo and behold, they've told a story because you've just kind of taken the pressure off of them and just asked them a simple question. Um, I just find that – and then giving them templates also can help 
take the pressure off and they just follow the template completely. So, so Jerry, I want to make sure this is really actionable for people. So there are a lot of businesses right now. There are probably people listening saying, yeah, we have that issue. We talk about data. We talk about what it is that we do. We're not actually getting to the story side. So what's your advice for people on how they go from boring, drab, me too type marketing to turning these messages into stories? What are, what are, what are a few steps that they can take to make a dramatic difference? Well, a very simple one is to take your testimonials and turn them into a story. Stop these one-line smile lines. You know, uh, ABC driveway company was just awesome. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. We'll work with them again, which is great. That's nice. But I'll bet you there was some pain involved somewhere for that client. I'll bet you there was a story arc. And if you went back to the salesperson who sold it or if you asked the client about it, you could get a fuller, richer story. So right away, behind every testimonial, there's probably a vignette or a story that has some more horsepower in it that people can relate to. Because all people, if you, it's interesting, when you say, let me tell you a story, you automatically get listening. Yep. Stories cause listening. Uh, so there's one real simple trick. Um, the other thing is the process that I use also uses something called what I call narrative thinking. So that when they define, it's bigger than just telling stories. It's as big as your brand is. For example, the word now is persona when you talk about your targets. And there's all this stuff about wrapping humanity around your target so we understand them and their journey and the social media and the digital media people are tracking that journey all the way up to the time that they hit the button that says buy on your cart on the web. But All I care about is the exact turning point where they most need what you have to offer. Capture them at that moment, that mindset, and that customer will say, and play it back to them, and that customer will say, oh, my God, they get me. They get my world. I want to hear what they have to say. And the other piece to apply narrative thinking, not just stories themselves, is stop promising things. When you promise, you just focus on products and even benefits, which are good because it's about the customer, but then you're talking at them. Instead, go to the other end of the equation. I believe a brand is a promise of an experience. Promise an experience that they can relate to that they desire. And they define that experience. Actually, the emotional assurance, the reward, and I call it a reward statement they're looking for. What is the experience of the promise delivered on their side? Play that to them and they will say, yeah, I think I want some of that. So it's about narrative thinking, not just storytelling. And I think that a lot of people who are out there peddling stories are just caught up in story itself. And I have to tell a cute little short story. No, it's about story thinking, narrative tools that help you get there that get you closer to the customer and closer to a purchase. Yeah, no, you know what? I I love that. There's actually – there's a principle that I use with my clients on their websites which is, look, you need to understand in your customers' words how they would describe the problems that you're best at solving. Oh. And, and, then we, and then we do something very novel. We have a page on a website called Problems We Solve. And for my clients who implement this, it typically becomes the single most traffic page on their website after their homepage. Because if you think about it, when someone comes to your website, what are they trying to figure out? 
well, do these people solve the kind of problems that we're having right now? And so if you can speak to those problems you solve and someone reads that page and says, yeah, we have those problems, they're instantly interested in talking to you because you can describe their problems in a way maybe they couldn't even articulate them. Yep. I, I, that thrills me. My, I have chills. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have chills because before I was afraid, you know, you, you, said, you said it might kill you. So, you know, I was really, not, I was really concerned not, about that. I'm not dead yet. In fact, we're having a bro moment here. I'm digging it. <laughs> What's the single greatest lesson that you've learned from business challenges that maybe you've experienced in the past? Well, I'm going to tell you a fact about my past that is unavoidable because um, I spent eight years doing it. I was a teacher. I taught at the high school level and I taught at the university level in communications before I went off to Madison Avenue for 25 years at Ogilvy and Mather and DDB. And I was also on the client side for a while. Um, and being a teacher taught me a lot of things that uh, kids don't learn until they decide to learn. Teaching doesn't happen until kids learn and kids don't learn until they decide to learn. Similarly with clients, it is really helpful to them um, that everybody plays in the game of creating your strategic story, that's another narrative tool, or your brand story. And by getting everybody to play, you get the richness and input that's available throughout the organization. And I have found, found that I have had the most productive results with clients when everybody plays, from the C-suite down to the call center into the warehouse. When everybody plays, they own the outcome. Whether or not their exact input is featured in the final branding or in the strategy, at least they've been asked to participate. So they own it and they fight for it uh, and they live it in their actions. See, it's about behavior. When you start using st story thinking, it's about behavior. It's about action. It's not just about words. As you call it, it's show, don't tell, by the way, which is the most classic creative principle in creative writing. Show, don't tell. Uh, so they begin to own it and fight for it when they've had a hand in authoring in it, authoring the strategy or the brand story, or even making a value like integrity come to life when they actually made good on a promise to a client when maybe they made a mistake and they make good on it by giving them, uh, you know, a rebate or whatever it is. They begin to own that action because they live that value. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that idea. Of, I mean, it's just a, it's a great way to engage people by making sure they're actively participating and feel connected to what it is that you're doing as a business. So if you had one piece of advice to share with people to turn these bland messages into compelling stories, if you will, um, what advice would you share with people? It's really simple, and there's a couple corollaries to it. Stop selling products and services and start telling stories. Stop promising only features and benefits and start using stories to prove why people would want to work with you. Stop touting generic values like integrity and customer service. They're not differentiating them. They're not differentiating you. And when you tell stories to support those values, they come alive and they become persuasive. Um, and those stories ultimately, just as you were describing, begin to offer uh, an assurance and a humanity that we can help solve your problems. 
And that, that emotional assurance begins to create true differentiation in the market. I want a fanatical customer support promise. I just don't want customer service. And that's what we can remember, hang on to, and people will say, I want to work with those people. That's a great lesson for everybody. So, Jerry, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and get in touch with you online? The name of my company is Stories That Work. Stories That Work. So it's www.storiesthatwork.com. Um, they can reach me through that. And um, it's Jerry with a G, G-E-R-R-Y, at storiesthatwork.com. That's great, Jerry. And we'll include all that in the show notes. So thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. And uh, I'll be interested to see what stories come out of uh, this episode for our listeners. Thanks again, Jerry. Thank you. Jerry shared a lot of great information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, remember that stories trigger emotions. And they help us remember what's happened months or years after we actually heard the stories. One of the best ways to get that action suspense is the ABCD formula. The action, the backstory, which is B, C in conflict, as well as C for climax, and D for destination. And then remember, if you want to turn your testimonials into stories, you need to have that narrative thinking. And you need to follow that same formula and the arc of a story that makes it so that the participants and the players engage. Stop by and visit Jerry's site. There's a lot of great information there as well. I want to thank those of you who take the time to share this on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the show, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. <laughs>